Hello and welcome back to another episode where we have had technical difficulties, so we're running a little bit late. The technical difficulties being my fault this time because my laptop updated and shut down its Wi-Fi driver apparently, which caused it to, once it had updated, be a bit glitchy on the Wi-Fi. So Stefan was half volume and I was frozen on the screen like a picture. So, yay! But we're working now, that's fine. It was only small difficulties. And we're not too late this time. Only half an hour. Well, 26 minutes. Not too bad. Could be worse. Uh, but tonight we're going to try a shorter episode, shorter episode format. So we are going to try and stick to it this time. Jay pointed out last time we said we were going to try a shorter episode. It ran on for two and a half hours. We're not doing that again. Yeah, we are backwards in general. Just a little bit. But no, we're trying <laughs> to stick to it this time. So... We are going to talk about some random ramblings and stupid things, and I am starting... Just little tidbits that we've got, because uh, we, me and Kyle... So the whole point of this podcast is, obviously, this is the general chit-chat and bullshit that we'll chat about, but it usually ends up hilarious and off-track. Um, so whenever we find an amusing little story or something, or we'll find out an amusing fact or something now, it's... We'll go into the group chat as we would normally do, but instead of saying it and having an argument about it in a virtual form, we'll just go, I found some for the podcast. So these yeah. are all the little bits that have been kind of saved in the background and not used. Like I've got like 40, 50 odd open tabs on there with random stuff on my phone. So, because I just find stuff in the bookmark and then forget. <laughs> yeah, I, I generally either bookmark it or it ends up as a screenshot sent to myself on Messenger, which is great <laughs> when trying to find some of the stuff because some of them are articles that get removed from the place. Dude, so mine like, get lost. Mine get lost in I've, my full album. Yeah, all I've got is little snippets of the articles. Like, I'm trying to find out information, but they've removed everything. <laughs> but yeah, this one is something that we would do. It's the ultimate dad build, right? It's the ultimate DIY. You know how when you get when you get something from IKEA, I'm using IKEA because everybody does this with IKEA. You get something from IKEA, you look at the you open the box up, you get all the stuff out, the sp- the screws and everything go everywhere because the plastic bag that they were in burst at some point during the journey on the way home in the car. There's evidently either gonna be something missing, which is very important. Or you'll have a couple of extra screws left over, which nobody knows where they come from. Or, like, an extra drawer for your chest of drawers or something. It's always something stupid. I'm going to let you carry on, but I just want to I just want to put a pin in. I'll speak to you after this, but when you're finished with this. But I need to talk to you about my DIY, but carry on. Okay. <laughs> uh, <coughs> uh, you've got us choking now. Um, it wasn't that bad. But... Everybody knows, you get the instructions, you hold them up and you go, nah, and you put them to the side and you just build it. And then you put the picture in front of you and build something that doesn't look like that because you've put the drawers in upside down. Yeah, or you've (laughs) done it backwards or something's wrong. And then you get pissed off with Ikea because the the instructions don't work, even though you didn't follow them. (laughs) You didn't read them whatsoever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like the Lego thing. You you don't read the instructions on Lego, so you're meant to have a spaceship and you end up with a race car. And you're sitting there going, how the fuck? <laughs> well, this is the ultimate version of that, because it's, it's sorry, a sandstone house that was loaded on a... that was just sitting in a farm in pieces. 
and it was loaded onto eight HGVs delivered to a new homeowner who paid £170,000 for the DIY project. However, it came with instructions on how to put it back together into its original mansion form. I mean... It was a 17th century mansion that dated back to the Norman Conquest and it got delivered in eight HGVs and was put back together. In eight pieces? No, like in, in eight separate uh, trucks, but it's all the different right. pieces of it. Like it's, it's all the... It basically eight massive fuck-off trucks carried this mansion sand box. Yeah, no, because I was thinking, because in my head, I was thinking, you know, in they do it in America and that they do it in a few different countries, but predominantly, I think it was America that started doing this, but where they'll pick a house up and they'll put it on trucks and drive it somewhere. And occasionally, if the house is quite big, yeah, they'll put I'm... it in half and they'll take the two halves. And I thought it was like that, yeah. but cut in eight pieces. <laughs> and I was like, well, you don't need instructions because surely you can work out that what goes where by that. Do you know what I mean? No, this this is it's got timber, it's got like timber frames and wooden beams and sandstone rocks and everything, and it was just loaded up in pieces. Um, okay, so you know the guy who was in charge of taking it apart at this end. Yes. Why is it not the same guy in charge of putting it together at this end? Because one would assume it's the same team and the same person in charge, so they'd know. Because. It, someone purchased it in 1999 for around 50000 and transported mm -hmm. it to Ireland in parts, and then he found someone willing to pay £170,000 for it and just went, here you go. So I think he's, it, he's, he's, left it on his land. It he's left it on his land for about 30 years and probably forgotten how it got put back together. <laughs> it was to just, be fair... It, it was just sitting in a farm... <laughs> To be fair, if you didn't build a wardrobe for 30 years, you'd probably lose the instructions by then. So... Oh, no, never mind. <coughs> never mind. Uh, it was... Uh, here we go. It was originally constructed in the parish of Old Woodley, Leeds, in 1640 by Sir Gervais Clifton. What a name. Uh, he was a friend <laughs> of King Charles I, and it was later dismantled by the Sandmore Golf Club in 1969. So a golf club disassembled it. It doesn't doesn't uh, surprise us that a golf club has no respect for anyone's history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, a local farmer acquired the original beams, timber, sandstone, and granite, but he left it untouched on his land for thirty years before a transport company owner bought it in nineteen ninety nine for about fifty thousand. The timber is the internal structure, isn't it? The internal wood. Yes. Which, if exposed to the elements, i.e., you have all your roof rot. It's a common thing. Yes. So then in leaving the timber outside for 30 years, would does that not mean the whole frame is rotten so he has a pile of sandstone and marble? Or sandstone and granite or whatever it was. Uh, because they would be useless. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like there's, a, <laughs> there's an image of it, and it's like some of it looks like it has taken some weather damage, but some of it looks like it's been kept in good nick, like it's been put in storage while the sandstone and stuff's just been left outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently he relocated in Ireland in 2002 and they packed up the sandstone and granite onto pallets in eight articulated trucks and planned to rebuild the property along the seafront. Terrible idea. Um, but now that the planning to move back to, well, the plans to move back to the UK 
Uh, he found someone willing to pay 170000 for Old Woodley Old Hall, who wants to transport it 50 miles across Ireland to rebuild it. To be fair, 100 grand's not bad for a man. If they do knock that back up and get the money out of it, it could be worth millions. Yeah, exactly. It is a decent-sized mansion as well. It's it's a two-story with what looks like a possibly attic that you would have rooms in but might not have that much headroom. But it's at least a few, like multiple bedrooms and stuff. You know what I've just thought? Yes. Your postcode for your house is like your number plate for your car, isn't it, in this country? So the Royal Mail, when a house is built, it gets assigned a postcode. What happens if you take your postcode with you? Yeah, so are people going to be sending a post to Ireland, but it's just going to go to Leeds, to this random empty field. <laughs> it's just a confused postman saying, that's WXY and that's WXZ. What happened to be, where, Why is this gap here? <laughs> I mean, fuck knows. I'd <laughs> love to see that. Um, but the sale includes 70 pallets of wall stones and estimated to amount to 6,300 mainly rectangular blocks alongside 21 pallets of granite cobblestones from, from the basement floor, uh, garden wall masonry and the decorative carved pieces from around the window. Oh, they sent the garden comments. wall as well. That was really nice of them. They could have just given the house. Yeah. They given the garden wall as well. Yeah, they've given them the garden wall as well and like the decorative piece for around the windows and stuff. Uh, there's also 100 foot round wall cappings. Okay. Uh, there's no in, there's no instructions on how to build it, and he said there's no guarantee. He can't guarantee every piece of the jigsaw is there. So chances are it's been some parts have been lost. So you're you're going to end up building it, and it is going to be an IKEA build where you build it and there's a door missing or something. 100 foot round wall cabins. Is that 100 feet? Worth of wall cabins, or is that a one hundred foot wall cap? <laughs> I don't know. It just says there's also one hundred foot, foot in diameter. <laughs> it just says there's there's one hundred foot round wall cabins. So I don't know whether that is multiple or if that is just singular. <laughs> I would be Jesus. worried if it was singular because that would be fucking huge. Hi. <laughs> uh, It does raise a lot of questions. It, I mean, why buy a flat packed is... mansion to not put it up? I don't understand why you'd buy a flat packed mansion and just keep it for a bit at a field. You want to know why? Oh, well, there's a reason. When, when they were going to build it, the local authority said three pointed bays, absolutely not, and basically declined them the, the planning permission <laughs> to build it. So they Took had it, but they couldn't build it. Dude, I would have done It's like the dude that built the mansion in the haystack. Yeah, exactly. Because under it, British law, if it's been there for seven years and nobody's objected, then it, technically it's legal because people it, like you have to have planning permission to build in this country. So you have to submit your plans to the local council for the buildings you want to build. And this is even if you like want to build like a town hall or something. So the council have to submit planning permission themselves. I don't know how but, that works. But 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 this um, is, this is also if you just want to. Sometimes it's like depending on the size of things that you put in the garden, you have to do that as well, don't you? Like if you yeah. build a massive fuck off shed. Oh no! So it's 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 if it's a permanent structure, it'll be over a certain size, so it'll be yeah. over say a, a certain square area, I would guess. But it's if it's a permanent structure, so basically if it's something that's going to be there more than a year, so you can put, you could put up a you could build a massive fucking wooden shed over your house if you wanted, 
and everybody in your street could complain and you could go, well, it's temporary because it's not made of bricks. It's temporary yeah. and it's no, it's only going to be up eight months. So then you take it down after eight months and nobody can say anything. Uh, but it's, it's if it's a certain size, if it's visible from the road as well, because if it's in your back garden, you can pretty much do what you want. Yeah. Unless it's like tall up in the house and you can see it. It's all about like not being able to just be a prick and spoil everybody's day by building massive shit. Um, uh, but, but if nobody complains, if if it's completely different to the architecture of the local area, so if you build a stone yes. mansion in amongst brick houses, you're yes. probably not going to get planned permission, which is what happened to these yes. guys. But it, but if you put up if you put up a brick shed in your back garden and you couldn't see it from the road and the council didn't tell you to take it down, but your neighbour complained and then the council come around and inspected and said, well, it's not meant to be there, so no, you'd have to take it down. But the loophole is, if it's been there for seven years and the council hasn't told you to take it down and nobody's complained about it, then it's legal and you can't take it down. So there so was a guy who, there was a guy, a farmer, who wanted to build a mansion and he was denied. So he put a massive haystack in a field and he built a mansion in the haystack, kept the haystack up and maintained outside the mansion so people thought he just had a huge fucking haystack in a field. And then after seven years, took down this mansion there, everyone started complaining and he showed the date to the completion of the, all the construction. And it went to court and unfortunately, it, I think it took about four years or something, but eventually he did have to take it down. But he got away with it. <laughs> I mean, I applaud the effort. He, he didn't get away with it, but I feel like he should have. With that well, he did of, like, for a bit. That he, he did for a bit, but imagine building a mansion, having it there for seven years, having it for another four years, and then having to take it down. Like, Dude, he had a mansion for 11 years. He had a mansion I, for 11 years. I know, but the cost of and effort. Do you know what? If you've got that money spare and you use it to fuck with the system, that's a rock. I like yeah, anything. You know that I like anything that's against authority. <laughs> It's very true. <laughs> I, I love anything like that. That is just, it's ridiculous and it's fantastic. It's ingenuity. Part of my, Rules part are made to be broken. Part of my brain goes, it is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous waste of money, time, and effort because it got taken down at the end. But at the same time, it's fucking brilliant. But also, he was a pain in the council's arse while they try to take him to court for four years to get it taken down. Yeah, that is yeah. hard work in itself. <laughs> Don't deny him in the first place. It was a nice house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's his field. He can do what he wants. Fuck off. Mm-hmm. Like, anyway. I've, I heard someone say, like, there was some something in their tax. Like, they had to pay more tax because there was fields nearby. But the fields aren't owned by the council or anything. The fields are owned by the farmer. So why are they having to pay tax for there being greenery over there? But so is the farmer getting tax. The farmer's getting taxed himself as well, probably. Yeah, probably for owning the field. <laughs> yeah. So you get taxed if you own the field, you get taxed if you don't own a field, but you live next to one. Yeah. My parents live next to a field. I wonder if they get probably taxed get for that, taxed probably. For they probably get taxed. They built a fire station in the field as well, they probably get taxed for that. <laughs> it's probably how they afforded the fire station. <laughs> From the field tax. Yeah, the field <laughs> pays for itself. Yeah, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Anyway, moving on, I have something that is like I've never heard of this, but it looks brilliant. And it's always a good start. I've like I I think I've seen one, but I never knew it was this sort of thing. But it's it's called an instant pot, right? But, uh, I've heard of this. It's it's. I've heard the name. 
combined pressure cookers and slow cookers. It's a multi cooker. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was so I was going to say it's a kind of slow cooker. Yeah, it was originally marketed as a 6-in-1 or more appliances designed to consolidate the cooking time, all that sort of shit. It's meant to be able to do we whatever you want. We took the bargain. <laughs> yeah. It does all that sort of shit. It does. It does all that sort of shit. It, it can cook rice and porridge. It can be a slow cooker, a pressure cooker. It can be a saute. It can be a stew steamer. It can be a... It does all the fucking shit. It cooks shit. But and, and it has a lid. The part that I like about it <laughs> is the fact of one in 2018 uh, they were a, a bunch of them were recalled because they were overheating and subsequently melting due to a manufacturing issue. So this whoa, pressure cooker whoa, whoa, whoa. was melting itself. That, no, no. That's not over, overheating is where something gets too hot. I suppose. I was going to say, overheating is where something gets too hot and fails. So, yes. I... I don't know. I don't know what example to use, but... Well, well, a car. If your engine overheats, it would fail because it's not meant to get that hot. Yeah. This cooker is meant to get that hot, but they haven't used the right plastics or the right casing or the right insulation to stop it melting its outer casing. It's out of plastic casing, I'm guessing. So it's, therefore, it's that's outer not... casing looks like looks like stainless metal. To be fair, but it does have like a, a plastic bottom and a plastic. Yeah, but but either way, what I, what I, what I'm saying is, it's not it's not say it's meant to get to 300 degrees. It's not going over that. It's not suddenly gone like 400 degrees and failed. It's not overheated. It's heated as much as it's meant to. It's just that they didn't they use subpar materials or a poor design. Yes. So, Which it, it it got recalled after it was sold to someone someone else from its original owners. Mm. So the, the 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 original owners had it. They made them, and then five years after the first one was bought out, they had to recall a couple of uh, one one thousand one hundred forty units because there was a defect that would cause electric current to leak, which would shock the product user. Uh, there was apparently four reported instances before it was recalled. Uh, they sold it two years later to, uh, like, they sold the entire patent and thing yeah. to an uh, equity firm. Manufacturing uh, rights. Yeah. Uh, two, a year, two years later, and then a year after that, they ended up having to recall them again because they basically tried to skimp out and use subpar materials and overheated it and made it melt itself. Yeah. But the best no. part, my favourite thing, is that uh, it was it was invented by someone called Robert Wang, which is like, insert Chinese British name here. Mm. Uh, but he's got a PhD and he was a uh, they were employees in Ottawa, Canada and the 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 design they started working on designs too online everything like that, but the inventor read every review of his product. Supposedly, I don't know if this is true or not, but this okay. is a supposedly thing. He supposedly read every review of his product, and one person wrote, "It would be nice if this pro if it could make yogurt." Bear in mind, this is a pressure cooker and like what? a slow cooker. <laughs> this this is thing. There's something that's made to heat up food. 
and cook it slow and everything. It's meant to make rice. It's meant to make all that sort of stuff. Someone said, it would be nice if I could make yogurt. So he created a fucking... His next model could make yogurt. Dude, I would... I feel like that was a troll. And I would just put random shit in there now. I would just... Every but review. honestly, right? If he made a new model that could do it. He sent the reviewer the new model as a thank you. Right? What? For the idea... I'm going to gonna write a review and say it would be nice for a bit ice cream. He has a, the great <laughs> thing, right? It legitimately does. If you look on the instant pots and stuff now, it's a pressure cooker, slow cooker, rice and porridge cooker, saute, searing pan, steamer, food warmer, and yogurt maker. <laughs> Uh, dude, I would I would be writing reviews going, oh, uh, it would be nice if I could make uh, ice cream. It would be nice if I could make um, brie. <laughs> just yeah. random stuff. It would be it's nice just, if I could make fish cakes. <laughs> it's just out of nowhere it can make yoghurt. And apparently it's just because it's just he, he read the review and went, that's a good idea. It's not. It makes no sense. It's like buying a fridge and going, it would be nice if I could grill stuff on it. It's yeah. not what it's for. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, there are people who have gotten the modern day fridges with little electronic screens and played Doom on them. So, you know. Yes, but that's not the exact things. opposite. I mean, I don't know. Playing a video game on a thing that's designed to cool down food. Dude, it's designed to cool down food, but they give it an LCD screen. If you give something an LCD screen, somebody can work out how to play a game on it. That's just human innovation. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Doom has been pl- the original Doom has been played on everything that has any sort. It doesn't even need to be LCD. Get a fucking oh, retro monitor as well. They'll yeah. find a way to do it. Fucking eight bit screens of that. What was the one I saw the other day? It was something absolutely ridiculous, like a Tamagotchi or some shit. But someone had managed to make it run on something. <laughs> like it was something absolutely stupid like that. Oh, it doesn't surprise us. I love <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> It's, a, it's just so perfectly pointless. It's not, it's brilliant. But anyway, I'm I'm going to hand over to you because I know that you had someone who had done some sort of stupid innovation I... or invention or Yes. Something. No, it's not stupid. It's, it's brilliant. So... Is it better than making a pressure cooker cookie or that? Oh, yes, it is. Okay, bring it on. So, it, I, I shall revert to the history of car crime. Yes. Right, so... I was um, wondering how that would link in, because you did say it was to do with car crime. Yeah, so, basically, um, I'll, I'll kind of skim through, but um, it, go, it, goes, it goes on. Um, like, night follows day, a vehicle crime followed close behind the invention of the car. Uh, and some offences are not as new as you might think. In 1891, the police, who were already 60 years old, were aware of uh, disquiet caused by these newfangled horseless carriages, and responding to local pressures from the fight from the f- frightened public, not to mention the horses, they attempted to ban them in what could ar- on what could arguably called roads. So when the car was invented, the police went, well, you can't put that on a road. That's exactly what it was invented for. It's like inventing a boat, and then they're going, well, you can't put that on the sea. <laughs> I love the fact that people were like, these new the, these new horses' carriages are far too loud. There was boy races as soon as the fucking car was invented. Dude, they are done like two mile an hour, man. They were dangerously fast. <laughs> um, and the owners, uh, who could list lords, judges and wealthy industrialists and landowners among them, 
Yeah, uh, not, because um, the only people that could afford them were the rich of the rich of the rich. Uh, we're able to thankfully influence the Highways Act of 1895. Uh, it's also notable that there were a few chief constables who had them as well, so maybe that helped. Yeah, they made the laws, so they decided, well, we're going to change the laws so that we can use these things. All the police going, all these people coming in, all the horses are frightened, they're terrified, these noisy things going down the road, we need to ban them, everyone's in the police station's like, yeah, ban them, they can't, you can't put these on the road, they're dangerous, and the chief's like, well, I've just bought one, so that's not going to happen. No, I like to think that they were in a meeting, and they were, they were like, right, we just need to wait on the chief inspector, and then we can ban these vehicles, and the chief inspector pulled up outside the window in one. Yeah. <laughs> and then everybody in the room was just like, oh, no. Uh, so they were allowed to keep them, and under the Highways Act of 1895, they had a 14-mile-per-hour speed, speed restriction. Which they couldn't do anyway. Yeah. The car had to be uh, fitted with pneumatic tyres. And so, that no, because this is 1895. And um, also, it was released from the red flag requirement imposed since 1865. So, if you, I don't know if you know about, but the very early history of the very early, the you know, the Benz Patton Fargan. Yeah. You know, the very early three-wheeler, that did like two and a half mile an hour or something. Very, very early, big, steel-wheeled, usually three-wheeled cars, the early, early ones in the 1800s, had to have a man walking in front of them with a red flag. <laughs> Make it completely pointless. People. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, the man would walk in front of them. I imagine they've imposed a 14 mile per hour speed limit, but they kept the red flag. So someone doing 14 mile an hour in this car, someone with a red flag had to sprint in front. You'd have to employ Usain Bolt to go to the shop. Yeah. Just run over your man with a red flag. Well, I had a man with a red flag when I set off, but he lasted two minutes and I ran him over. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, because in 1904, the speed limit had increased from 12 mile an hour. Okay. To 20. Blistering speeds. Yes. Dangerously fast, these things. And there were 17,000 vehicles an hour registered on the road. Wow. <laughs> the Automobile Club got formed in 1897, and the 1903 Motor Car Act required vehicle owners to register their cars and motorcycles with the local council for 20 shillings, which is the equivalent of about a quid. Imagine the, paying, paying car tax and it only being a quid. I know. They also had to obtain a licence from the post office for five shillings, about 25p. So you didn't have to take a take a test, you just had to go and buy a licence. Which I'm pretty sure people have started doing that now as well, due to buy some of the driving. But Yeah. Um, an increase in reported vehicle crime as such was limited to the abusers of the new speed limit, usually the offspring of vehicle's owners. Basically, rich people's kids were then nicking their cars and breaking the speed limit to 20. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing has changed apart from the speed limit. That is the only thing that has changed. Yeah, literally. An increase. This is the most British way, the most, most old English, uh, upper class British way of saying the little bastards nicked the dad's car and fucking sped with it. Yeah. Because <laughs> it says an increase in report of yellow crime, such as was limited to the abusers of the new speed limit, basically people speeding, usually the offspring, and it's got offspring in air quotes, <laughs> of vehicle owners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. 
These privileged few were no doubt trying to emulate the drivers in the Gordon Bennett races, the Michael Schumachers of that period, who were exceeding 40 miles power on their journey from one capital city to another. <laughs> the races were doing 40. <laughs> oh, such speeds. Um, the borrowing of cars and motorcycles, however, with or without permission for, quote, joyous purposes. <laughs> Joy rides before the game what, of the uh, yeah. As one Kent magistrate suggested, was inappropriate, foolhardy, and worrying for the owner. Well, yeah, because they probably paid an absolute <laughs> fortune for the fucking car. Twalking, taken without consent of the owner, or joyriding, began in 1903, and it's 102 years old, so car theft is 102 years old. Hold on a second. <laughs> You've just given me the fucking reason why twalking exists that I never knew of. Dude, I just did you not know that? that. I just always knew that you, you talk things, like steal things. Talk, TWOC, take them without consent. I never knew it was that. <laughs> yeah. Or take them without owner's knowledge. So there was 29 owners who had sought registration for their vehicles by 1904. Um, <laughs> this, this is basically, you know what happened was, in the, in the olden days, in the early days of car crime, nothing was really nicked, it was borrowed. So yes. uh, what happened was a lot of rich people bought these new horseless carriages that could do about 40 mile an hour. And then a lot of people who couldn't afford them were pissed on the way home from the pub or needed to get to work and were run late, just took it, drove it to where they needed to drive, left it there. Then when the police turned up and went, we can't take that, it's not yours. He went, I just borrowed it because I needed it. Yeah. Uh, so in Cheshire, just three years after the compulsory registration, a new Ford car had been borrowed from the collection of vehicles owned by an eminent local surgeon. The culprit, a young relative, had challenged his fellow students to a race, but damaged his own Ford car beyond repair. So he wrote off his car and went and nicked his, his dad's or his uncle's car. Yeah, he, went, he challenged everybody to a race, wrote off his car. Yeah. <laughs> Boy racers have been around since the 1800s, folks. It gets better. The registration plates, one letter and one number, from his car were placed front of the borrowed car, and then the race was run. So not only did he, he also use fake plates. Yeah. <laughs> A genius before his time. <laughs> the winner, the student relative, was however indiscreet, and the owner took him to court. The magistrate, a horse owner, likened the offence to the ringing of a horse and imposed a fine of seven shillings. <laughs> Uh, so this is so I don't know if you knew this, hold but on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes. What I got from that was he wasn't punished for borrowing or stealing the car and going racing in it. He was charged and punished for rigging the race by putting his plates on a different car and using ringing. A car. So have you ever heard of something as a ringer? A car yeah. is a ringer. It means it's basically on false plates as a ringer. It's been nicked and it's been falsely duplicated or whatever. I thought I thought it said like rigging as if rigging a horse race. No, so a ringer was a substituted racehorse, so if a racehorse wasn't fit to win, but you had bets on it, you'd substitute one that looks the same to run the race for you, and that was a ringer in the early days, and that's where the term come from because of this. Ah, okay. Um, I mean, it's just brilliant, this. In 1907, the Automobile, Automobile? Automobile Association Automobile. Formed, formed in 1905, ordered their patrol cyclists to warn motorists of oncoming police speed traps. So even back then, they were warning people there's speed traps up ahead. The Automotive Association, AAA, 
The AA, as in the breakdown company in the UK. The AA. Why can't you do that nowadays? I know, formed and then went slow down, mate. There's a car down there waiting to catch you. Yeah. The heroes. Can they do that nowadays? Please. <laughs> to be fair, I never see it. Like, other than the static speed cams, I very rarely see a copper sitting in the side Dude, of the road now. It, it gets better because this is just... I find out. I found out why the AA don't do it anymore because one dickhead ruined it for everyone. Oh, okay. Did you report them to the police or something? Or did um, the police report them to the police? It's better than that. Okay. In Rygate, an over-enthusiastic AA cyclist waved down a speeding car to inform him that the driver to inform the driver that he needed to slow down because there was a speed trap ahead. The alleged reply was similar to "Not yet, there isn't, because we are the police." They were on their way to set up the speed trap, and he flagged them down to stop speeding because there was one. Oh, <laughs> uh, not quite an attempt to pervert the course of justice, but interesting all the same. Another disastrous attempt to catch speeding drivers occurred near Oxford when a photographer was summoned by the police to photograph the vehicles complete with registration plate. One driver, startled by the flash, veered off the road and demolished the camera, covertly hidden behind a bush. <laughs> so he, he, saw a, he, saw a, <laughs> he saw a flash from a bush and thought, oh, fuck, kill it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that is fight or flight reaction kicking in and that is full fight mode oh, I, like idiot. It. <laughs> I like it if you're going to hide the bush uh, it says the photographer who I am pleased to say has escaped the fracas may have well been involved in the first speed camera stolen or borrowed vehicles had not publicly been declared a problem in 1910 some car manufacturers did start to fit key operated locks to their door and ignition systems by 1914, certain garages were using mechanical pumps to distribute petrol, previously sold in cans. The new pumps allowed the still expensive fuel to be sent directly from the pump to the vehicle's tank. So they went to the fuel station in 1914. Just in time um, for the war? Actually, no, just in time for after the war. Yeah. In Lancashire, vehicles entering a certain garage triggered a bell by driving over a mechanical cable. The proprietor, probably thinking that he had not had a customer for a while, found the cable hanging over a lamp uh, standard in this forecourt and 50 gallons of fuel had been taken. So he set up basically a shop doorbell that ding ling ling ling. Yeah. And somebody hung it up, drove under it, nicked 50 gallons of fuel and left. <laughs> Ingenious. <laughs> oh, hey. So that's the first pe- uh, petrol theft or drive off. Um. In 1918, the First World War ended and the total number of vehicles reports stolen to the police in the UK was surprisingly less than 1,179, with London receiving just 211 vehicle crime-related reports. Up until then, uh, certainly out in the sticks or on the countryside, it was quite common to notify the Chief Constable or his deputy personally of any vehicle theft, and it was quite normal for him to have the details printed on the posters, which would then be displayed in prominent places in the surrounding area. They put out wanted posters for the stolen cars. <laughs> or missing posters. Missing, have you seen this Ford? Have you seen this car? It is lonely. It replies to Jeffrey. It says, uh, the presupposes that most vehicle owners at the time were still fairly wealthy and therefore deserved the best treatment and advice that a police could offer. The cheapest models available were £175, a whole two years' wages to the average man. So, like, nowadays, it's basically if you try and buy a Lamborghini. Yeah. Actually, no, it's less... It's if you try and buy... 
like one of Land Rovers or something nowadays. Like a high spec Range Rover or something probably costs that. Yeah. So we've got. Well, no, because uh, the average it would be about. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, probably more. Range Rover would probably be like four years average wage. I mean, my, my average wage, well, my old average wage was 22 a year. Yeah. So an, anything that's. So like, 44, a, a, a Range Rover's about, over 100. Yeah, so that would be. Fucking hell. So even my car that I've got in the thing is like one and a half years of my wage. Yeah. Fuck me. Yeah. Thank God for monthly payments. <laughs> um. When did so, they come in? I want to know when monthly payments came we'll, in. We'll now find that because we're going through the first. We've got the first fuel station. We've got the first petrol theft. We've got the first speed camera. We've got the first road accident. We've got the first uh, plate swap. We've uh, got the first youth. Yeah, the first youth boy racers. Yeah. Uh, in 1920, the Road Act required all 50, sorry, 591,000 owners to register all their vehicles at the time of licensing, each one being issued with its own number. There were now quite a few old, unusual, but well-used ex-First World War cars being made available to the public, albeit still at a price that many could not afford. Three armed carriers were purchased by a gentleman from Waterloo who used them for collecting people from the railway station and taking them sightseeing around London. He was not registered as an official cab driver, but could well be responsible for starting the first minicab business. So he bought three armed passenger carriers. And then just drove around, drove people around with them to go sightseeing. He wasn't the first minicab driver, he was the first fucking London tour bus. Yeah. Basically, yeah, he bought three. Yeah, he bought. I don't know. Yeah, uh, typically, he's the first two of us. Right. Are you ready for the world's first car alarm? And this is epic. Is it just a dog or a bell? Oh, this is way more brilliant than you can imagine. Is it an air an air raid siren hooked up to something? I'm gonna read. Right. So it says typical that period. Much of the theft was an opportunist, and people simply borrowed motorcycles and cars to see how they worked, or to use them to get home from a night out. One recently demobbed captain living in Victoria got fed up with his motorcycle being taken from outside his home. So I'm going to leave you there. This is a army captain, old guy, in yeah. London, stiff up Alep, you know he's going to be fucking crackers. Did he hook up a shotgun, so if you try and nick it, it blows your leg off. Believe it or not, I'm going to read through it, but that's less dangerous than what he did. <laughs> okay. Landmine? <laughs> now you're on it. Okay. Uh, it, <laughs> he always removed most of his fuel from the tank and was therefore fortunate to have found it less than a mile away. So that that's quite smart. Take all the fuel out, yeah. leave about a mile. So I read into it a little bit. It's quite hard to find about him, but he, he left a tiny bit of fuel, about a mile's worth, and then he just searched a mile radius and he'd find it abandoned somewhere because it broke down because it was out of fuel. Yeah. Fair enough. Already quite smart. Not to be a victim a second time, he attached a, f- a grenade to the machine and connected the pin via a string to the railings. Okay. Steal it now, you bastards. Yeah. You see the flaw in the plan? I do indeed. How was he going to use it? Oh, he'd just take or, the grenade off. Or, like, well, 
one, if someone else who's ex-military comes across it, they might know how to take it off. But two, even if someone doesn't and they use it, surely you're destroying it anyway with the grenade. Well, that's what I was thinking, but he didn't just destroy the bike. Did he destroy part of his home as well? The wind, unfortunately, blew the bike over in the night, and the explosion rendered the bike and his car that was parked nearby completely useless. He was also forced to pay for the damage to the windows and in the downstairs flat, the railings, and the shrubbery. He may well have invented the first car alarm and immobiliser in 1921. The first growing signs of major car crime were appearing, and the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police reported the following. Amongst other crimes, larcenies of motor cars and vans have been frequent. These, again, are in large measure due to the carelessness of owners, with no door or ignition locks, alarms or mobilisers. It is difficult to understand how a driver could be so careless. It is known that in the first serious mention of vehicle theft by a senior police officer, several well-known persons had reported their vehicle stolen. He fucking tied a grenade. His bike, his bike blew over, blew up his, his bike, his car... All the shrubs, the railing, and half of the downstairs flat next to it. And it's just a little bit of larceny. Yeah. A little bit of larceny. Yeah, these things seems to be frequent. Uh, yeah, so... And then the, there was, there was like... Um, so the, okay, so this gets so then there was another guy who got his phone of his phone bills mixed uh, nicked. Then in nineteen twenty eight, the Minister of Transport for London passed an order making it illegal for drivers in London to lock their cars and vans while parked in public places. Why? Guess. To stop people breaking them. No. So they could be moved. I don't know. Yes. Because people were parking and MPs couldn't get to work on their horses, so you had to leave your car unlocked. Because so people were blocking the, the road. So that no so that the police could move your car. Okay. So for this is nineteen nineteen twenty eight, so since nineteen oh five, they'd been saying to people, Look, we need to, you need to put we've put locks on, we've got like locks on ignition barrels, you need to lock your car up. And then 20 years later, they went, look, you need to stop locking your car up because we need to move them so that the posh twats can get through. Yeah. Why do I get the feeling a barricade of cars appeared the next day? Um, it, well, it does say that... Um, uh, London was gridlocked with vehicles and horses, prevent the capital's businessmen, usually MPs, from getting to their places of work. One assumes that if your vehicles were left open, then the police could move them around easily should they become an obstruction. When thefts of these open vehicles bordered on full-blown looting, obviously because you've left everything unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> um... An early end to this regulation was agreed. Not surprisingly, a dramatic increase in the taking of these vehicles was also reported, and fingers were pointed at several organised London gangs who were taking control of their theft and disposal. So a gang went, hold on, he's told then everyone to leave their car unlocked. So what we're going to do is empty every single car we see and take the ones that are valuable. Yeah. Makes sense when you think about it. Why not? Um... Organised crime had arrived in 1929 central London. A failed robbery at a jeweller shop forced the villains to flee. They pushed, pushed a chauffeur from his car, which happened to be stationary at some traffic lights, which had only been invented two years earlier. And when he bravely fought back, a gun was pointed at him. He fled the scene, but not before he had locked the handbrake. This might be the first manufacturer's 
uh, fitted anti-theft device ever, and it would be over 30 years before it was generally made available. So the world's first carjacking happened in London, but the guy just locked the handbrake so that they couldn't go anywhere anyway. <laughs> A fucking immobilizer. The very first immobilizer. Yeah. Uh, the judge at the Inner London uh, Assizes... Prior to the sentencing of the pair convicted of the crime, had read about the recent Valentine's Day massacre in America and the hijacking of illegal liquor. He said the offences, including the attempt to commandeer, excorporate, or hijack this vehicle with a gun, will be punished with the maximum extent that the law will allow. This could well have been the first time a vehicle had been reported hijacked. But by 1930, there was insurance. Of course. Uh, because in that year, there were 7,000 road deaths reported. I mean, if you've got no road laws, you might as well have loads <laughs> of road deaths. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the regulations of 20, 1928 were withdrawn and everyone was encouraged to lock their cars and vans. Uh, manufacturers were encouraged to design a standard device to prevent cars from being stolen. The door lock arrived and crime prevention or crime reduction uh, had begun. Uh, in 1934, there was about 1.5 million vehicles on the road, and in, by the 1939, at the outbreak of the war, there were nearly 2 million. Uh, many were obviously commandeered for war. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, but what else I did found is I found an interesting fact about vehicle crime. Okay. Right. You know, if you live on a street, right? Like and the street, yes, and the streetlights are on all the time. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of car, there's an average of car thefts and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, not, sorry, not necessarily taking the car themselves, but people taking things from the car, like break-ins. Yeah. Because right? it's more common than stealing the whole car. Uh, what do you think happens to that crime rate if all the street lamps are turned off? Like, you know, some places turn the street lamps off at midnight. Yeah. What do you think happens? Uh, the crime rate increases because they're not as visible. You think that's it decreases? What the that's what the insurance company likes to think because one of the insurance takes is was it underneath the street light that's turned on? Well, if it's underneath the street light that's turned on, it's twice as likely because when they turned the street lamps off, it was halved. Is that because they couldn't see what they were doing? Well, there's two things here that you wouldn't necessarily think of. So, yeah, you think if 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 the street's lit up and you're walking down the street and you're a guy in a hoodie at night or whatever or a girl, I suppose. And and you go and nick somebody out of a car, then everyone can see you because it's the streetlight. You're under a streetlight. But if you're not under a streetlight, one, it's harder to see in the car to see if there's anything there worth nicking in the first place. And two, the only way to really do anything about that is to shine a torch in the window. And if you're in a dark street and you start waving a torch around and somebody catches it out their eye, they're going to think, well, that's fucking weird. So you're actually drawing more attention to yourself. That's a good point. So when the street lamps are off, yeah, the the crime rate halves, car thefts. Because it's ca- far more obvious that you're up to no good because you're having to use an external light source. But they did do this trial in the town and they did find out that the, the crime rates in other streets further over did increase because the thieves just moved across. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, like... it, so it is very much a, a, a get away from here, I don't care if you fuck anyone else up kind of solution to the problem. It's a, either the solution <laughs> is put everywhere or the next street over gets fucked over instead. Yeah, which I can imagine the posh, the posh twats in London doing exactly that. They would turn they would turn off their street and leave the next street over where the poor, slightly poorer poorer people live. Yeah. But yeah, 
I'll go outside and unscroll the street lamps. Yeah. <laughs> just see thrown box, just think. Little journey, little journey through the first first. So the invention of the car alarm was a guy got sick of his bike being nicked, so he put a grenade on it. <laughs> I don't. I still love the fact that I still love the highly British explanation for kids going on joyrides with the parents' cots. Yeah, it was. It was usually the offspring yes. of the vehicle owners. Of course. <laughs> Well, thank you. Do you know what you know the best thing about that though is that that article that I was paraphrasing from there was written by a man called Ken German, who wrote it in the most British way, <laughs> most British German way ever. Yeah. It was very precise, so you know. It was. Oh, hey. Well, thank uh, you very much for that history lesson. Uh, I think we're going to end it here it's because it's yeah. going to be a shorter one. So, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to our history lesson. Yeah. And our stupidity about a yogurt slow cooker and the first ever alarm. <laughs> and always, we're going to leave you with a little tidbit of always park underneath the street lamp that isn't on. Yes, park in the dark. That's what we've learned, yeah? Park in the I, dark. I park out the front of the house because there's street lamps and it's a main road. I should be parking out the other side of the park where it's dark. Yeah. And it'll be in a bad bedroom window, but it'll see better. There, thank you well, there is a tree out there, so birds shit on it if I do that. So yeah, it doesn't no. come without its own problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Anyway. Oh, well. well, see you later, and see thanks you for listening, everybody else. Next week. Bye! Goodbye.